Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald. Ooh, I can't even see my own name. That's how we're going to roll today. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Fitzgerald, Cole Carmody, and Ryan Gills-Gilbert. Right here in the dog-laden room. Although, we're missing a couple dogs. Oh, got one behind me. Never mind. We're just missing one. He's in the hallway. We're okay, folks. We're going to go ahead with this podcast. We're sponsored by The Fridge. Make sure you stop into The Fridge whenever you come to Manhattan. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the Hilo. Great businesses located in Aggieville. Stop in both. They're both very, very cool places. How was your weekend, boys? How was my weekend? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know how my weekend was. Well, okay. So uh, the wife had a work retreat with basically as we go somewhere with all of our coworkers and and drink. Um, so we went down to a cabin, a hunting lodge in southeastern Kansas, lovely area, the Key West Township. And um, thank you. Um, and so Mr. Gilbert stepped in and dog sat. Keep in mind, Daphne is scared of him, so it didn't go quite as planned. Yeah. We thought she'd loosen up. She really didn't. She slept with him like the slutty girl that she is, <laughs> but she then barked at him. So basically, Daphne's like a that girlfriend we've all had. At nighttime, everything's fine, and in the morning, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Everyone's staying out of that one, I see. <laughs> How was your experience with the dog sitting? It was good. Okay. I mean, I enjoyed Dude. Dude was awesome, That's and then awesome. Darla had to kick everywhere. She's got for she's her been to move really bad. I wonder if she's hurting because I've had to really move her around. Mm-hmm. We don't kick her; you just kind of have okay. got to nudge her. Yeah, you got to like if you touch her on the hind quarter, she moves. I'm sorry for getting the cops called on you. That wasn't you at all. <laughs> That's one of my crazy neighbors. I swear to God, I live in the middle of a sitcom. Cole, how was your weekend? It's pretty good. Play a little ball? Yeah, we did. Um, I almost got kicked out of a game. Mm. Nice. What'd you do? Well done, Pete Hughes. Uh, the umpire was pretty bad. Had to okay. let him know. And it was hot, and we were playing like crap. Did you call him a <laughs> 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 Well, we're going to write that one down. Yeah, right there. Drop that sucker. <laughs> right. Boom. There it is. <laughs> What'd I say? Uh, mm-hmm. What'd I say? <laughs> No, uh, it was good. Other than that, you know, we played some baseball and <laughs> won one game. So there's always the positives. Oh, Zach, how was your weekend? Uh, I went to the casino, won some money. Again? And, uh, yeah, I'm on a great streak, but I, I foolishly did not leave the casino when I cashed out. And I felt like sitting down at a different table and it didn't go too well. So... Yeah. Still went out ahead, though. Okay. That was how my weekend went. I was delayed coming back from this little trip, unfortunately, for numerous reasons I won't get into. And so I missed a 1,000-degree day at Bill Snyder Family Stadium for the football camp. You still showed up? Well, I had to drop something off for him. Plus, my back was 
It's been miserable. Yeah, my SD card, middle of it just goes full. Thank goodness while I had one, but it wasn't fast enough to take a whole bunch of pictures. Like boom, boom, boom. It was like boom, boom, boom. Waiting, waiting, waiting. What, Wally's card? Yeah. Did the card I gave you work? I didn't have to use it because so Wally had enough space. I sacrificed and came out into the heat. You did. I sacrificed walking up all those stairs, too. Appreciate it, Gills. Huh. We do things we do for Zach. Yep. No appreciation. <laughs> I appreciated uh, it. Just Cole, you're kind of a football guy. What do you think of those camps? You weren't there this weekend. But... No, I, I like them. I like them a lot, actually. I think they're they're fun um, for the kids, more you know, first and foremost, because they get a chance to get coached by all the um, the college coaches, and they get a chance to be in the stadium. They go to the indoor. It's a good experience for the kids. But I think for the coaches, it's a real opportunity. We've seen, you know, kids who weren't even on the radars of the K-State coaching staff get offers and, you know, possibly going to have some commitments here pretty soon from these camps. So I think it it's good for both parties. And it's good that, you know, we're kind of back to normal with the recruiting process because it, it really does help. It, it really was difficult for Kansas State to go a year without these type of camps. The type of kids they're looking for do kind of fly under the radar. I mean, we've seen it. It's just a reality of where the program's at. You're not going to win a lot of high-level battles right now. You're going to win some, like Jake Rubley, but not not that many. So getting kids into camp and seeing how fast they are in person, how physical they are, how well they move, is just enormous to their recruiting efforts, and I think it's really going to help out. I don't know. One more to go next Sunday. Uh, I think all four of us will be there. Ryan Wallace cannot be there, so we're actually going to have to – Pick up the load significantly. He's incredible at those things. He's I mean, a walking computer. Mm-hmm. He spotted Brandon Jacobs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who is that guy? That looks like Brandon Jacobs. Sure enough, it was Brandon Jacobs, running back. Who wants to make an NFL comeback, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that or what? not. Yeah, he's like trying to make an NFL comeback as a defensive end currently in the NFL. Currently or like currently? right after he retired? No, like right now. Huh. There was an article that came out that said Brandon Eight Jacobs. years later? Yes. Wow. Yep. Okay. Because Tim Tebow did it. So he tweeted out, if Tim Tebow can do it, so can I. I'm currently training as a defensive end NFL team. I'm available. Let's be honest. Tim Tebow hasn't made a comeback. He's gotten a sympathy spot on a roster that's good PR. Right? I mean, if he makes a roster, I'll be impressed. He's got a chance. We'll see. I, I mean, I don't want to have it down this area but i could see it as bad pr because i know people are upset with the whole kaepernick situation now he hasn't gotten on the roster yeah and then tebow you know so but i know he's playing tight end but having tim tebow on your team as a mentor to a rookie quarterback yeah i think that's pretty valuable plus he kicks ass in the postgame prayer (laughs) yeah he ain't a faker but it's also i I really do wish tim tebow would have made it to the mets He's a great athlete who isn't quite good enough for the highest levels of mm-hmm. any of his sports. If he would have played tight end right out of college, I think he would have had a chance. I would agree with that. So would I. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a complete lie. Gronk versus Tebow versus Kelsey, who's the greatest. Mm. Mm. What a what an alternate timeline we'd live in. Let's get going. Who's got him? I didn't even ask you. I, I've got this. Gills has got your questions from Wabash Station. It might be a short one, but that's what she said. 
First question comes from John Quifold. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast. I don't know if we've seen your name on here before, John. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. welcome, Mr. Quifold. The Supreme Court on Monday invalidated part of the NCAA's amateurism rules, probably the first shoe to drop in a lot more changes to the way athletes are treated and eventually paid. I've heard a lot of commentators talk about the benefits to doing away with these rules. But put on your pessimistic hat, what are the unforeseen downsides to this change? It is going to open up a whole bunch of unintended consequences. I mean, it's just a it's a huge shift for college sports. Okay, so we were talking about this before we got rolling. Number one, and I mentioned this in the daily delivery that went up on the site on Tuesday. The NCAA institutions now are going to essentially create a, a fund, an account for every student athlete. And out of that will be extracted the cost of tuition, room, and board. They'll still get their their scholarship and all of that. It's just going to go through that. And literally, then, they'll monetize the worth of it and pay you above that if you're not getting paid enough. Okay? It becomes an accounting problem. An accounting problem. Now, the huge problem for the student athlete is you just turned the free benefit of having the education and the room and board into income. And it will be taxable in some form. Um, <clears throat> now, maybe that's there's a workaround in that. I'm not an accountant, and uh, nor would anyone want me to be their accountant. Now, the other problem is the the NCAA. Excuse me. The Supreme Court also ruled that you can't just limit this to football and men's basketball. That all student athletes. This isn't ruling that they can be paid. It rules they should be paid. You cannot hide behind the laws and say they're amateur athletes so we don't have to pay them. That's not how it works. They're still employees of some sort. They do represent your brand. You you hold them accountable for representing your brand, but then you don't pay them. I get all this. The, the end effect is it's going to destroy a lot of college sports. It really is. I mean, if you're Stanford, remember they dropped all the sports, and then they got pressure, and they brought them back. They're going to be gone. You're not going to have a fully funded men's swimming team and everyone's going to be on salary. It, it it doesn't work. The money's not there. It really isn't. The money's there for football and men's basketball. My fear is that there will be a serious challenge to Title IX with this. And the other ramifications of everything going on. I wasn't going to discuss this, but I just want to throw this out there as a devil's advocate. If the NCAA is intending to allow transgender competition in college athletics, then how do you politically or legally define men's and women's sports? I I don't understand there how you can have it both ways, saying a genetically male person can compete in women's sports. How do you say football is an all-men's sport if you have a female kicker? So I think there's going to be some gray areas. And the end result of this will be the destruction of a lot of non-revenue sports, period. They'll be gone. You know, K-State's already at the minimum. I think the NCAA will say, do what you need to do. To stay in business, because that's really, you know, most athletic departments lose money. Kansas State, we all bitch about they've got the minimum number. They need to add softball. They need to add wrestling. They need to add this. 
Well, fiscally, they're doing the right thing. Minimum minimum number of sports funded, sometimes not at what you fully need, but it's what they can afford. And on top of that, not only do they run uh, a balanced budget, they give back to the university, which is really rare. I mean, an athletic department giving back money to the university is incredible. I personally think that needs to stop. I think the university needs to figure it out. Uh, you know, the athletic department's going to have to do what it needs to do. It's going to be a fascinating process. But between this and the NIL issue, I don't know how the NCAA in its current format survives any of this. Uh, I think there's going to have to be strong leadership from university presidents to say it's time to rework the NCAA as we know it. It's not some monolith. It's the members run that thing and say either we need to blow it up or reinvent it, but something needs to change because these are huge, huge changes to how the NCAA has done business, and it will make the process of actually doing business, financially operating athletic departments, incredibly challenging. And as you guys mentioned, the accounting for it will be a whole nother layer of administration that will come out of this. There's a way around this. I really think as far as my computer goes off, it feels like once a podcast, but there's a way around what you talked about fits with um, taking the salary and, and paying it to the players and, and maybe taxing it and it maybe not even being as much as a normal scholarship would be in, in some of these non-revenue sports. There's a way around this, and that is taking the money away from everybody in the athletic department who makes six figures for going around the office and asking everybody how their day has been. <laughs> There's a way around it. Take the money from there and give that to the, to, to the students, to the student athletes that are participating in these non-revenue sports because taking away opportunities for student athletes to learn and to grow through sport is just it's ridiculous. And and what are we doing? Are we going to have high school as the highest competition? That's somebody who, who participates in, you know, in track B, somebody who participates in cross country. Is their highest level of athletic achievement going to be their senior year in high school when they're 17 years old? I mean, there's so many life lessons that can come out of these sports. It, it, you're 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 seriously affecting the backbone of universities of young people if you cut away sports and i think it's not it's not right that these people that sit in you know the athletic department and make all this money can can make these decisions for these kids it's going to affect hundreds of student athletes at, at a single university and and thousands of student athletes across the country i think you know, the way the NCAA is set up right now, you got Division One and Division Two where you can have scholarships. Division Three, you can't. At some point, I think there's going to be a lot of universities saying, "Hey, we simply cannot afford to compete with the revenue we have trying to pay student athletes and doing an accounting problem where we give them the money, but we deduct all of the." the scholarship costs and school costs from that and what's left over is, you know, what they have left over to pay taxes and, and they can spend whatever else they have left after that. I think you'll see a lot of, Hey, we're just going to play sports. You know, there's no money in it. We're going to be D three. Mm -hmm. And I think that the NCAA will see a structural thing. And maybe this is where we get a super conference where we find, 
you know who can really afford this the blue blood the blue bloods right now and the the newcomers such as clemson and you know the the top people right now are we going to take a snapshot of the top 20 or top 30 teams because there's certainly power five teams that will not be able to afford this at the end of the day and they, they might try as hard as they can but it might be kansas state it could be kansas state it could be you know Anybody who's not in the top half of their conference, as far as money goes, as far as endowment goes, as far as donations go, number of high-dollar donors, this is bad. And I'm not saying it's it's wrong what's happening. The way that college sports has changed, yeah, with the revenue that's being made, the money that's in college sports, yeah, the student-athletes should be getting money. But then you have to figure out how do you make it fair. Because right now, you look at baseball, you have a split number of scholarships. Every other sport that isn't football or basketball is not fully scholarshiped. Uh, women's basketball is fully scholarshiped. But there's, there's problems here where you have a lot of student-athletes are indeed paying to go to school. So where does the line get drawn on who gets compensated? Because... If everybody has to get compensated, you got to find the money somewhere. But isn't that and, what isn't that what makes college athletics great? Is you have kids that are playing for the love of the game, I right? Mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. This isn't a. This isn't criticizing them or. It, it's about the business model. If you have to pay, you know, the bullpen catcher for being a student athlete, you know, is he? More or less valuable than someone else, another student athlete, a rower, a volleyball player, a soccer player. You have to you have to actually monetize or determine what a player's monetary value is. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be extremely difficult at one institution, but not only that, at conference institutions and then across the country. Because going to Stanford costs a lot more than going to K State. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It's going to be so, there's, a mess. But here's my question, and nobody's ever looked at me and said, that guy looks like a legal scholar. Um, from what the, what the Supreme Court handed down to the NCAA, I don't think Division III is immune from this. I don't think they can say we're, we're scholarship-free. I think how I'm reading this, the NCAA is saying, if they're representing your institution, they are – your employee, they are doing something on behalf of your institution and they should be paid. So the trickle down, if that could wipe out D3 sports, that could wipe out small college sports, junior college, could wipe out junior college sports. It could wipe out a lot of lesser institutions because honestly, the whole scholarship athlete thing where they're not really on scholarship, they're earning Pell Grants at these small schools or they're getting government grants or they're getting student debt that seems magical at the time when they're getting to play college football at a small school in the state of Kansas or Iowa or wherever, but eventually that bill comes due. Those institutions are going to collapse because they survive on those coaches recruiting yeah. students yep. Yep. that can bring in the government money to fund the institution 
We will see a lot of small institutions collapse under this or surrender sports and try to find a different way. It's a mess. This is going to be something incredible to watch over the next five to ten years um, to see how this actually pans out in the marketplace, in the real world. And I'm not disagreeing with the the Supreme Court ruling. I think I think they got it right. I think it just shows you, though, that the NCAA is woefully out of touch with reality that they allowed this to get to the Supreme Court without settling or or trying to maybe maybe the plaintiffs or wouldn't wouldn't settle in any way. The fact it went to this Supreme Court and people want to talk about it being so divided. And I don't know that it's any more divided than it's ever been. There are different political and legal views on that court. I don't want to think it's political, but there's a lot of politics nowadays. And they voted 9 nothing. NCAA, that's how far out of touch you are. The conservatives and the liberal wings of the court both agreed, you're screwing student-athletes. It's crazy. It's crazy. But again, it emphasizes the NCAA is a blind man without a cane wandering through college athletics telling everyone to follow him, that they have to follow him. And let's not even get into the fact that they still have major investigations of rules violations that don't seem to be moving anywhere. What are they doing with their time? From KNED, the Supreme Court said the NCAA business model is illegal in all other industries, but their business model includes supporting money-losing products. So how many other businesses would support anything other than football and men's basketball, or are we about to ruin opportunities for the 90% of the business that is actually institutions providing educational opportunities? Yeah, that's the next step here. How will institutions then go to the NCAA and say, hey, look, you can't be mandating our minimum number of sports because we can't afford these sports and we are not going to stay in the NCAA if you tell us we have to have this. And then Title IX comes into question. Title Does IX. Title IX, do you have to provide an, a number, since it's educa- since it's an educational venue, so to speak. I mean, at what point does college athletics not become an educational venue? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where the argument is going to go next is, well, we can't afford to subsidize these these sports. And quite frankly, with football, a lot of these sports that are subsidized are women's sports. You completely eliminate all of those sports makes zero sense. Do we enter a world in which you you get the money put into your account, and if you want to pay for school, you can go to school. If you want to just come to Kansas State or Nebraska or Florida and play football and never go to a class, you're an employee of the university playing football. Is that the world in which we're about to step into? I Again, these are great points by KNED, and again, we don't know where we're going with this. This is going to be... Such an entangled mess. The dominoes will start falling. And I would tend to agree. This is going to lessen opportunity, probably for women. And I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know how Title IX would stand up to some of these things. And I don't know how institutions will be able to afford the sports they afford. I, oh, man, this is going to get fun. I'm scared for college baseball. I agree. Because, I mean... Already, college baseball is on thin ice when you have, you know, the best players 
you know, the, the best young players getting drafted out of high school. I mean, if you're a college baseball player, you can, you know, in five years, you're you're coming out of high school and you're going to be a top five round draft pick. Why would you go to school when you're only going to make fifteen thousand, ten thousand dollars a year when you could get a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus? And not only not have to go through all the levels of the minor leagues because Major League Baseball cut over 140 minor league teams, but you get a sal- you get you're gonna get an hourly salary hourly salary in the minors. It might be better than what you would make in college, and you don't have to go to school. I, you've you've read the stories about being in the minors. I, I, I don't eat. know that it they might can't not be live. worse. I mean, I don't know. I think going to college even today, with how the minor leagues have been, even and. It, you cut all the the you know you cut 140 teams or whatever. That's times that by 30. That's that many less spots for well, here's for those teams. If if you're a a swimmer and they cut swimming, the elite swimmers will find clubs um, because the opportunities there are really Olympic and that's it. I mean, it's not professional yeah. swimming. And if you're a baseball player, though, and they do start dropping baseball, I can see almost an uh, a business model of independent leagues popping up all over the country. That would be they would pay players, not sure. much, but it would give them a platform to continue the game. Because as we know, I mean, uh, Major League Baseball is a big business. They are not going to want to lose the training ground of a lot of players that the draft misses. There's a lot of players that weren't draftable out of high school that all of a sudden, I don't know where Jordan Wicks stood coming out of high school, but college baseball did a lot for him. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of kids like that. So I almost wonder if those opportunities won't exist, but in another form without the education part of it. But boy, if you're in one of those, I don't like to use the word minor, but sports where there's not a professional level opportunity to you, you're kind of screwed. You really will be screwed. Another quick note on the baseball. Um, it's kind of like what's, you know, you think about in the Dominican Republic and in Latin America where these, these kids can get signed when they're 16 years old by a major league organization. They have academies where they go to all day. They do school in the morning and then all the afternoon and evening, they train for baseball from the time they're 12 years old to the time they're 16, 18 years old. You could leave high school and go to an academy in America, train for two years, get drafted when you're 19 years old and go into the minor leagues from there and just skip college completely if you don't get drafted out of high school. That's what soccer is in in Europe and and they're trying to bring it here. And that's why men's soccer, at least, you know, as an expansion sport that we talk about on the podcast, like, oh, we want to add soccer to the Big 12. Well... There's problems there because most of the good youth in their teens are going to be attached to an MLS club at this point. But, you know, the one sport I don't think that I actually think the players would say, no, we want to keep it the way it is and not get paid is golf because golf has really rigid rules when it comes to amateur status from the USGA and as you know, playing in college, you retain your amateur status and that allows you to play, you know, us amateur, you know, your local, like such as the Kansas amateur, there's, there's tournaments that are strictly amateur tournaments and you must be an amateur. And I'm wondering what, if, if the NCAA requires, Hey, you need to pay the players. And if the, if your scholarship becomes taxable, if you are, playing and you're being paid to play do you lose your amateur status 
And I know that we talk about amateur status for football, basketball. It doesn't really matter in those aspects because once you hit college, basically you're going pro. But as far as golf, you can be an amateur golfer for as long as you want until you decide, hey, I'm declaring as a pro and you can pay me now. But you talk about at least right now, college, college golf, I, I would be interested because to see because over the summers, you know, a lot of these players, they'll play, you know, college amateur golf tournaments. So it, it'll be interesting to see. Well, you talk about amateur statuses. This opens up a whole nother can of worms with, you know, football. You can't go to the NFL right out of high school. Mm. But, but I think that's the NFL's you, problem. But will you be able to? I mean, if you if you want to technically pay the players, you are no longer an amateur. Can you go? Can you bypass, you know, Alabama and go straight to the NFL out of high school? I mean, you can go do what I mean. It's not about the NCAA's rules. It's about the NFL's rules. They require will they you change, to though. They require you to play three years after. Yes. Will they change? I think it, it would not surprise me if in the next three or four years, an NFL team opened up an academy saying, hey, mm-hmm. if you're ages 15 to 24 or whatever, or, you know, high school to college age, open up an academy and you create a minor leagues of, of football. football. And I mean, basketball is basically there with the G League. You can go straight there. It wouldn't surprise me if the NBA in the next three or four years said, hey, you can come out of high school again. You can. Oh, that's like, coming. You can sure. be like LeBron James. You don't have to go to school. The one year rules was dumb. You know, if you're good enough to play, you're good enough to play. We'll let you in. I don't know what hockey's like, but I think hockey's pretty close to baseball mm-hmm. would be my guess because you have a lot of these um, club teams. junior teams junior that are teams. that you can forgo going to college or even play, you know, in the summer times when you're not in college, kind of like baseball. So, I mean, football is really the last sport in America that is reliant Hundred percent reliant on college athletics is the only pipeline. Hockey's different because you're not ready out of high school to go to the NHL because you've got to build up a tolerance of bacon and maple syrup <laughs> that are required of all Canadian athletes that we just don't have in the states coming out of high school. We don't. Sorry. Fitz, I want to go back to what you you mentioned with Jordan Wicks, how he upped mm-hmm. his draft stock at K State. I kind of side with Cole, and I know this isn't the best example, but Quentin Grimes, you know, he's doing well at Houston now. But after Kansas, if he would have went to, you know, straight to the NBA right out of high school, he would be making millions of dollars. And then instead he got stuck kind of sucking at Kansas and kind of missed out on that opportunity. So, Cole, I'm with you. I think that we're going to see more and more people avoid college if this whole – what's the the broad topic of this? The NCAA and Supreme Court saga. Yeah. After this, we're going to see a lot more people, I think, well, just go pro. But Quentin Grimes is exactly why the NBA wants to have the one-year rule. True. Oh, we yeah. thought you were NBA ready. <laughs> yeah. You're not even college ready. Yeah. Because I've seen that with a lot of the five-star kids. A lot of them are just clearly – I mean, Zion, you're like, oh, my goodness. But a lot of kids are like, why are you five-star? Mm-hmm. What what sets you apart from a three-star? Because I don't see it. And then – and NBA wants to sort that out. They want someone to do it for them for free. Yeah. It's a good setup for them. From TN Cat, in light of the Supreme Court's ruling on the NCAA, will this result in KU getting another 
get-out-of-jail-free card since the NCAA has taken no action yet on their infractions? Uh, again, I don't think so. I, I think – I mean, it's really not the NCAA with KU. It's whatever this committee is. I don't know what's going on. There's so many things on the NCAA's plate right now. I don't know how they have enough attorneys and everyone to see through everything. But it, it will happen eventually. And it's at this point, it's unbelievably unfair to Kansas. It just is. Either give them the pass or, or hammer them. But right now, this limbo, this hanging in the middle of everything is just not good for anyone. Um, and it's, it's a little ridiculous. It's ridiculous what it's become. Just rule on the damn thing. I, I don't understand. But again, they're probably making sure that they're into the whole thing. Well, can we legally do this? Can we punish them? You know, they're probably a little gun shy right now because they're getting their ass kicked in the court of law. I think these things that happen in the Supreme Court, we talk about, you know, paying the players and, and all this kind of stuff. This is years down the line. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is this is going to happen in the next two to three years. And I don't think Kansas's ruling will be two to three years. I think it could no. be in two to three to four to five months. Like, I think this is coming soon. I said that two or three years ago. <laughs> well... It's the truth. I mean, you would think, right? So I don't don't know. I I hope that you're right. You kind of feel bad for KU. It's not often on this podcast we feel bad for KU. What the? But you kind of do feel bad for KU because just let them know. Just just let them know. Criminals are entitled to a quick and speedy trial. Right. But until they don't know, they can keep playing in the NCAA tournament and they don't have anything going wrong with them. Same well, thing with Oklahoma State last is, year. If they knew, they wouldn't be in the Okay, KU's out on bond, right? Yeah, now, they're out on saying. bond. But I think they're being <laughs> impacted in recruiting. I do agree with that. They're being impacted in recruiting. Now, maybe you can make the argument that the, the impact is actually they're not allowed to cheat now, and that's hurting them. But, um, you know, they, it is having an impact on them and the institution and um, – and again, I want to very forcefully say that birds do not wear shoes, nor should they have buckles on those shoes. Birds aren't real in the first place, Fitz. Oh, yeah. Why is KU's mascot, a government spying drone, wearing buckled shoes? Exactly. That's what I'm So you're telling me that somebody who's wearing an ankle monitor is going to be Hard-pressed to pick up chicks because that's KU right now with their recruiting. Is that what you're telling me? Well, as someone who's had an ankle monitor, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never had an ankle monitor to pick up chicks. I'd like to blame the ankle monitor for my inability to do so in college, but I never had one. Maybe it was just a, a other kind of monitor. It's a weird nickname for Becky. <laughs> <laughs> it's my wife. I call her the ankle monitor. She restricts what I can do. I really can't leave the house either. That's it for the first half. A long first half of the PowerCat podcast will be on the other side with more of your questions from Wabash Station, maybe about sports, like like actual sports, not court rulings on sports. Huh. What a concept. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. 
Welcome back to the PowerCat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the PowerCat Legal Podcast. Right here at GoPowerCat.com, you need the legal theories of four monkeys. We're your guys. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Cole Carmody, and Ryan Gills Gilbert in the Dog Room Studio and uh, Leisure Center. God, dude looks so comfortable. I mean, that guy could just lay down. He just looks like the most comfortable dog in the world. He gives zero you know it's. Let's get going with more of your questions from Wabash Station. Maybe we'll bring up uh, abortion and other topics that the Supreme Court might be ruling on. <laughs> Let's just really dive into it here on the Powercat non-sports podcast. First question of the second half from Contra Cat with the Lon Kruger interview featured this week. Is Lon appropriately rated in KSU history as a coach in his time in MHK? Well, I think the re- the way he departed and really left the program in bad situation. I mean, you guys are young. You probably don't appreciate it. He had the initial flurry of Steve Henson and Mitch Richmond and Charles Bledsoe and, you know, made the run to the Elite Eight in 88. And then his recruiting really dropped off, and he really struggled with recruiting. Simultaneous to this was the hiring of Bill Snyder, if you think about the years, and the athletic department finally funding football at a realistic level to compete in the Big Eight at the time. And, um, you know, he just he wanted a practice facility. He, he just felt like there were some problems at K-State. But he did take him to an Elite Eight. He he is going to go down as another in the long line of great coaches, as will Dana Altman, even though the greatness wasn't achieved in Manhattan. The fact that a guy like Cotton Fitzsimmons made a stop here in Manhattan and then went on to the NBA and now in the, the Hall of Fame for the NBA, uh, I think just says all you need to know about it. They don't have to enjoy their success here. Bob Huggins will still be remembered. Frank Martin, if his career... And I'll kind of gets rejuvenated here, and he goes on to have a legendary career. All those guys will be remembered as K-State coaches, and Lon certainly is part of that. I just thought his answer was fascinating. That, And he admitted he hasn't told many people this, that the losses in Manhattan hurt more. They were mm-hmm. more personal. And I think we can all get that. I mean, particularly when he picked it up from his mentor, the guy who really put him in a position that he could become a head coach. So to take over from Jack Hartman was a very big deal. It was a lot like following Bill Snyder. And I can imagine the pressure was pretty heavy. And then once it kind of dropped off and you didn't have the the level of elite eight that you had in your first spurt at the university, you probably felt like you were letting people down. It's time to go. I think it's interesting, you know, if it's, First of all, you did a really good job with that podcast. So if you haven't listened to the Life of Fitz podcast with Long Kruger, definitely go check it out. But I did think it was interesting when he was talking about um, his time at K-State. You mentioned the losses hurt differently. But to me, what was most fascinating about that whole interview was the fact that, you know, he said, I was going to be at K-State, but I wasn't going to be there for long. And the fact that that had something to do with, you know, losing and how much that those games hurt him. But, I mean, you look at his time, you know, just based off of the records and he started off very good and started to trend downward. But he's still the only K-State coach to take um, a team to the NCAA tournament for four consecutive seasons. So that is something that I think is, is pretty incredible in and of itself. Yes, I agree. 
from Emaw Wildcat 82 with the 12 team playoff format on the horizon. Will Chris Kleiman thrive in this setting given his past record at North Dakota State? I think so. It's an interesting question. That's a good question. I yeah. really never thought of that. I mean, I mean, he understands playoff football. I mean, I think as far as a game preparation standpoint goes, he knows what it takes and he knows that, you know, you're going to have more games on the other end and especially more than just, you know, a two team playoff or even, or uh, excuse me, a, a two game playoff with the four teams right now. Um, if you want to throw in the conference championship game, there's that too, but there's a significant layoff of like a month between those, you know, your first game in the playoff and the, the championship game. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, it's, it's literally taking it one week at a time. And I think that, you know, someone from the FCS probably gets that a little better than what a team might be in the, you know, currently you know that would be in the college football playoff but i think it's only going to pay off if k-state can make the playoff within the first two to three years of the expanding to 12 teams because after that you're going to have teams like alabama or clemson you know someone that's made it to the championship game a couple years in a row where you know the the advantage is gone so i think yes it'll help early but it's got to take k-state making the the playoff early he, well he understands it's a marathon not a sprint so yeah i definitely think that's <laughs> that's something that is good for him and, and good for k-state i mean having playoff experience how many times have we seen it in other sports having playoff experience is huge it's huge and to have your coach have playoff experience before you know this format has even been instituted yeah i think it it gives k-state a leg up I just want to clarify something. Someone implied that I said it'll give Kansas State an advantage over the Alabamas of the world. That's not at all. I, I just think it helps Kansas State being able to recruit saying you have access to the the national championship. Not that you're going to win them, but you can get in the playoffs and win it on the field. Right now, they, they don't have, unless they run the table perfectly and everything falls in line, you don't have access to that. It's just this whole playoff, the way they've set it up and the way they handle it is a total sham. So I'm glad they're going to 12 teams and they won't be denying any good teams. I mean, if you've got three losses on the season, even if you're the 2003 Kansas State Wildcats that were actually a pretty good team despite an early season rash of injuries, you can't really argue you're one of the better teams in the country. You should feel incredibly blessed if you make the playoffs. So I think, you know, when we get to the end of the season and there's some undefeated teams and non-Power 5 conferences or one-loss teams that maybe have been left out in the past and you're named uh, not a perennial power, uh, I think having access will help them in the long run. But you're right, Zach. I think getting in there early really helps you, can really give you a jump start. Uh, if, you know, in 2023 when K-State could be kind of good, you know, if they get the recruiting falls in place and Jake Rubley and Will Howard, one of them really emerges as a big-time guy, well, um, it's going to be pretty pretty interesting to see what happens. And if K-State can get into that first 12-team playoff, it changes the perception of the university and the football program nationwide and certainly in the eye of recruits. Well, I hate to say this, but going up against Jacksonville State and James Madison is a lot different than Alabama and Clemson. So, Especially when I agree. you were the Alabama and Clemson yeah. of your division. He's going to have a good preparation, that mental standpoint, before those games that it's a one-game-at-a-time you know, mindset. But 
until he can win the games, I don't know if I can say yes. Um, his past, you know, success at North Dakota State in the playoffs really gives him an edge. Until I see it, it's a no for me. Um, a little breaking news on the Paracat podcast. Dun, 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 dun. Keon Mosey's next destination is the University of Miami, Ohio. Good for him. That's good for him. He he obviously identified that maybe he was in above his head a little bit. Mm-hmm. That took what? Two days? Three days? Yeah, not long. You know, when I was his age, I could commit to that school and go, hold on, you're in Ohio? <laughs> That's how I would have reacted. I would have known. Big Ben. I don't know. I thought the breaking news was going to be about Darla and if she's alive or not. Let's check. We don't know. <laughs> That's her breathing, is it? <laughs> oh, there's a snore. She's here with us. Okay. Anyways, from Email Wildcat once again, Email Wildcat 82, pardon me, is a 15 or 16 game path to the trophy too many? No. I think it's fun. I think it's awesome. It's going to put a premium on having depth. You know, you got to have that third string guy that might end up being a starter by season's end. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to push you. I mean, at 85 scholarships, you better have a good walk-on program because you're going to get into those dudes. By the time you're redshirting people, yeah, you're going to get into those dudes pretty quickly. It's a marathon, I, not a sprint. And I think if you are a good team, I mean, you need to have a lot of guys. Like, you do need the depth, but you need to have them actually playing, meaning, meaningful snaps, meaningful minutes. It can't just be cleanup time. You can't be so good. That, you know, by the third quarter, you're up 55 nothing, and you just have the, you know, the guys out, you know, the the third and fourth string out there. You need to have enough guys that you can plug in, in and out across the board. You need to probably have 50, 60 guys that you can throw out there and say, hey, we can compete. So, and I think a lot of it will come early season, too. You need to have your best guys ready at the end. You need to probably do some squad management, squad rotation early on in middle of the season. If Again, you want to be able to compete, it's a marathon. This might be something for the NCAA to look at. I've mentioned it before that maybe postseason doesn't count. I mean, you get your four games as a red shirt, and then maybe they change it to three games and say you get the postseason. And so if that's one bowl game, there's number four. If it's a bunch of playoff games, then your program needed the depth. It's just free bodies. The, the more you talk about that, I think that's that should be a no-brainer. I mean, the, when they moved to the four-game red shirt, it made a lot of sense. Right. And it never really made any sense that the bowl game is not free. I mean, if you're playing an extra game right now, I mean, if you're playing an extra game, that game should be free since technically not everybody gets a chance to play in a bowl game. FCS isn't free. Well, and they're playing a playoff, yeah. a sixteen-team playoff right now. So, I mean, I'm not saying that FCS shouldn't have it. I'm saying they're able to do it without mm-hmm. and with less guys. So, good point, all valid. I, I just think the reaction of coaches to the four-game permission that you can play and still redshirt it made all of their true freshmen engaged. They know they can play without burning their year. Well, once they play their four games, then they can check back out because they know they can't play again. But adding in the postseason, yeah, maybe that keeps them locked in. Maybe coaches would really push for that. We see this in the NFL with week 17, which will now be week 18 with the new schedule. But teams that know they're going to the playoff just rest their players. I'm curious, do you guys think if Alabama knows they're in the playoff, but they might lose a bye week? 
if that goes to whatever, you know, 12 teams, does that outweigh keeping your players healthy for those next three games? That loss that you would, you know, lose with. I think the bye week's more important. Yeah, the bye week. I mean, it's not like if the Chiefs go into week 18 and a win gives them a bye week and a loss means they don't get a bye week, you can bet your butt that Patrick Mahomes is playing that game. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Sure. So it's if if it's vert. I mean, if it's essentially assured, you know, if but like with these, you've got the conference championship games. You know, I could see. I mean, no, I, I don't see them. <laughs> see them. Yeah. You know, you got to play play every game to earn it because there's just so many quote unquote divisions in mm-hmm. in the across the NCAA that there's so many and there's not even a guaranteed spot if you're going to have four buys and there's five power five conferences and if those are going to go to the four yeah i mean you could be you could be on the outside looking in if you don't get a win so i think it's kind of risky you're going to need to play your best players as much as possible up to the end there's not going to be really much um you know, you're not gonna be able to take a, a game off like the Chiefs have been able to do in you know the last couple of weeks of December lately. You know, it's just not gonna be like that, and that's why I would ad- advocate for more you know rotation throughout the season. Maybe you don't start your your main guys early on, or you you know you play them less in some of those lesser games, but you know you still got to win and win thoroughly. Last question of the podcast from I Like Pickles Cat. How important is it that K-State be in the first version of the next EA Sports college football game? I could see that single release being the single biggest college football media entity for years on end for young people. The thought of missing out on that branding is beyond concerning to me. Disclaimer, this is a question from the podcast, Question Bank, and it's a couple months old and back from when... You know, EA Sports announced that they were pursuing right. a college football game. And, and deals with name, image, and likeness. Does It deals a little bit with the licensing, though, because EA yeah. announced, you know, collegiate licensing property, whatever the whatever the, the main one that K-State used to be a part of, but they're not anymore. That was kind of the concern. I'm not as concerned with K-State not making that as I used to be because I think that, you know, I think Affinity will take care of getting their schools into the game, and I think that EA Sports is, you know, willing to work. I'm not worried about the licensing aspect as much as I was when that was initially announced. Well, I'm not worried about the licensing people not allowing Kansas State to be in it. I think to make the game tangible, you need the actual players' names. And again, at the current level, well, if you've got Alabama players' names and you've got Clemson players' names and you've got those players' names, you can't have okay. I get what Smith you, from Kansas I State. I get what you mean there. Yes. That gets into the state, has to address this NIL issue if that's going to break loose here pretty soon. But again, why doesn't the NCAA just say, hey, it's okay? That's all they have to do. We're going to remove this from the rule book. I mean, that's what they're going to have to do. I mean, there's why no Why they haven't done it again is so yeah. NCAA. And I think they're going to meet next week. They're going to have some sort of emergency meeting next week. But, yes, I agree with you. You can't have Alabama being fully – it can't be a, a Pez game, Pro Evolution Soccer. It's FIFA's the main game as far as soccer video games go. Pretty much everything's licensed there. Logos, team rosters, 
EA Sports takes care of everything there. Konami makes Pro Evolution Soccer. They license with specific clubs. So let's say Arsenal one year or Manchester United. But then let's say Liverpool. They're not licensed. So they'll just have a bunch of you know fake names, fake numbers, right. you know, fake. That would be bad for EA Sports. And if K-State was on the outside looking in of that, yes, that would be very bad. But at least with the way that licensing works for... You know, looking how it works for pro games, you know, you you might just need a union of of players, a, a players union for for stuff like this, mm. and that that might be the video game thing might end up being what gets players unionized. Mm. Call me crazy. Crazy. How many kids have no idea about anything about K State because they have never played with K State in a video game before because this generation of kids these high school kids did not grow up playing ncaa football when i was a kid i played ncaa football i learned that wyoming has a really cool field because i played with wyoming in ncaa football these kids on the east coast these kids on the west coast they've never played these games before you know what i did i think up? there's a real concern i think not a concern that's realistic i agree you know what i did when i played ncaa football and i was k-state I would schedule so many road games because I hated playing at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. It looked terrible. (laughs) It looked terrible in the game. It was embarrassing. And I'm glad that they finally upped the stadium. But even the last game, it wasn't the the West Stadium Center wasn't built yet for the last iteration Mm. of NCAA football. So the the new stadium, so to speak, is not there. I would play at Alabama. I would play wherever else. I wanted to make it harder for myself too, but I hated playing home games. <laughs> okay, That's, I know. Yeah. Fitz, you want to play? I'll bring my Xbox. We can play NCAA I football. I won't. No. I don't want to play two generations of a video game console. Oh, I still. Have, I love playing it still. Sorry, I, I won't I'm do snobby. it because I'm so addictive. I'll never stop <laughs> playing it. I will play it, play it, and play it. Okay, that's it for the podcast as we've covered a lot of legal topics and in concern with name, image, and likeness proprietorship. I am Tim Fitzgerald. The man to my left is Joe Smith. Scary Larry across the table, and I don't even know what that guy's name is in the corner that asks all the questions. Point guard five. (laughs) Point guard five. We'll talk to you on Friday with the overtime And, of course, we'll have another edition of The Life of Fitz. Make sure you're listening. Man, Gino and Kruger were both, they were different, but they were both good. we got more fun guests coming up. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. (laughs) 